We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. It is the Bengals mailbag. We'll get to the first question. Kevin Brown says, no team started 0-2 and made it to the playoffs last year. Does it apply to the Bengals this year? I mean, no. I, I, did any of those teams that started 0-2, were they in the Super Bowl? Were they playoff teams the year before? Uh, it's a small sample. If you go back, it's about 9.5% over the past 10, I think, years that 0-2 teams have been able to make the playoffs. It's not at the point of the alarms are completely going off because I think this is a good team on paper. But to me, no. I, I don't think this applies to them. I think that's just a small sample size, too. How many teams start 0-2? What do you think, Lindsay? I think it's silly to think about and anything I know we've talked about Joe Burrow's poor play, but with him, anything is possible. I think a lot about last year. I know I should stop talking about last year because we should talk about 2022. T Higgins even mentioned that today, but I want to use this reference. Look, they break the playoff losing streak. They go to the AFC championship game. It's the first time in forever, you know, winning a game on the road in the AFC championship game, making history. You know, They do different things because they have Joe Burrow at quarterback. And this team is really talented. And I think they're going to be fine. I don't think it applies to this team. I, I think, you know, they have a chance if they get the win on Sunday to really even out to 500 on that big Thursday night game against the Miami Dolphins. So I don't think it applies to Cincinnati. We'll really get to know who this team is over the next couple of weeks, but I say no. Move on to Eric Olsen. We'll stay with Joe Burrow because he's going to be the topic of discussion always, number nine. He says, what's hurting Burrow more? Is it his pocket movement where sometimes he becomes a runner too early, or is it his eyes where he's missing open receivers? I, I think he's running too early. I don't think he's really – I think week one he missed a couple. Um, some of them are real tough throws. And honestly, when you throw three, four interceptions, you're probably going to pass up some of the uh, – ooh, let me squeeze that seam ball, that bender in there in between the two safeties and over the linebacker. You kind of move from that to, okay, we're going to try to hit the safe route, the, the dig or something like that. So I think last week – week one, maybe that was a little bit true – but this week, I don't think he missed the open receivers. He ended up not hitting them, but it was because he would start to run or try to escape or create um, out of structure something. You know, he he wasn't missing open receivers while sitting in the pocket looking for them. We'll move on to Goose. He says Trey Hendrickson hasn't been the game wrecker he was last year. In the first couple of weeks, he hasn't been, especially after hearing what a great training camp he had. What's the deal? Well, um, I think week one you almost throw out because it was like a gimmicky, weird offense, the Wario offense. But week two, he had a lot of people helping against him, a lot of chips, a lot of other stuff. Guys other than DJ Reader, of course, aren't winning as, as much as they should. I think I want to see – it was tough against Dallas because BJ Hill's going against Zach Martin, so I'm not giving him too much flack. And honestly, Sam Hubbard did win a few reps uh, over the right tackle. So I think he was doing fine, too. You want to see a little bit more out of Trey Hendrickson. He got a lot of help. He was drawing all the chips. And it, it led to Sam Hubbard getting a sack. DJ Reader being able to go one-on-one with their worst offensive lineman. Just a lot of stuff like that. So it does help when he's 
you know, still getting that, but you want to see the production because that's what he signed here for. We had the Carl Lawson before of, well, he can get pressure and he can draw the chips and he could do all this and they're going to game plan for him. But if he's not getting sacks and the team ends with 17 sacks on the year, which honestly that's more than they're on pace for right now <laughs> is uh, not great. Uh, that's, that's the issue is when your star guy isn't getting the production because as even though we all felt like Carl was a good player and he was getting the pressure and it wasn't really his fault, you need just that extra 10% to be able to bring the quarterback down to and not just get this pressure. We'll move on to Blake Jewell because you mentioned DJ Reader. G- DJ Reader is going to be an all pro because of your clips on Twitter. And we're, Dude, we're I all hope so. for it. He said, uh, yeah. would, you ra- would you rather block DJ Reader or fight a grizzly bear with your with your hands tied behind your back? I'd rather block DJ Reader, but this reminds me of one of my favorite things about Youngstown State University, my alma mater, where they're in the halls of the gymnasium, you think they have all the great athletes. They have a framed picture of UCLA Kevin Love posting up one of their players, and that would be me blocking DJ. I would have a framed picture in my house of me getting run over by DJ Reader. I love it. I thought you were going to say you saw it was like a grizzly bear photo. So I didn't really know where that story was going. But um, no, it's just they, they had a famous they had a famous athlete doing something to their player, and they framed it and put it up. I love it. I love it. That that's what would happen. I want to see you go against DJ Reader. It's oh, kill me. I mean, I don't want him. I want him to be nice. I don't want him to hurt you. Uh, well, we'll, <laughs> stay, we'll we'll stay with uh, something we've talked about plenty of times on this podcast. I guess Taylor's not listening to the podcast because he's asking this question. I'll have to get on him about that. But he says, which of these fan favorites do you think could re- who could make a difference with this team right now? Chris Evans or Dax Hill? Dax Hill, I, look, I think the Chris Evans thing is just blown out of proportion. I think he's very explosive. I think he's a very good athlete. The coaching staff just doesn't think he should be the running back to run the ball, and they value Savage P. Ryan's pass protection too much. I, now, I guess you could argue, is that right? When I see Samaj P. Ryan blocking Mike Parsons one-on-one, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to say that they're wrong in that <laughs> assumption. I think Chris Evans can take a 10-yard pass and turn it into a 20-yard pass, a two-yard dump off into a 10-yard gain. But really, that's, that's to me, not what they need right now. They need the pass protection help, and they need Mixon to be a good runner. So they have the best runner on the field, and they have the best pass protection guy. Do they have the best pass catcher? I don't know. That really could be Chris Evans. I just don't know if they need that with all the guys they have. You said Smaje, and Joe Burrow gave him a shout-out for that block in his press conference earlier, and I thought of you. He, he saw my Twitter clip. He, he doesn't have Twitter right now, so he did not see that. Um, <laughs> the next guy, he says, what are the main responsibilities of a head, <laughs> this is so funny to me, of a head coach if they're not calling the plays? What do they actually do? That is not already done by an OC or DC and all the other coaches. So what are the main responsibilities? I, th- I think we have to stop thinking of these things as such absolutes as if the head coach is sitting there with his Madden chart out and picking the play like that. Brian Callahan's up in the booth to give him suggestions, to give him help. Hey, you're getting a lot of cover two here. You're getting, you know, or when he sees them line up, they have all the communication, the headsets. And then further, it's not like they just walk into the game with their playbook in hand and start picking plays flippantly. 
I mean, you've got the first 15 that are scripted. You have a game plan, which really creates your menu of plays you're really choosing from, at least early on in the game. You're designing plays. You're designing scheme to work together. Frank Pollock's the run game coordinator, and he's trying to figure that part out. So this is a huge concerted effort. I think sometimes we really look at this as, well, that's the play caller, so that's the offense, and that cannot be further from the truth. I have two things I want to add to that. I do think that every NFL team needs someone who's in charge of time management uh, because I feel like that could have helped Cincinnati in week one and week two. Uh, that it just sometimes you're so busy, especially if you're a head coach and you're doing, you know, the OC job and you have a lot of responsibilities. You got to do personnel. You got to do personnel. Hey, yeah. it's, it's two point play. P Ryan, we need you to go block Parsons. Seriously, and I'm not even joking. I think every team, and maybe they do, and they just have like other titles, but you need someone in charge of clock management and what's going on in a game and your timeouts. You you can't walk into halftime or you can't leave a game with timeouts in your pocket. I don't, and then I don't... also, sorry, just to keep adding on to the things a head coach would do, manage everybody in the locker room. I think of what Mike Tomlin has done in the past where Antonio yeah. Brown's bottled up. He's acted a little weird, but when he leaves there, he went full nuclear. Okay, and this is uh, this is not a Pittsburgh podcast, but our producer Nick would appreciate this. I think that Tomlin should get more credit for dealing with AB because I can't even imagine what that was like behind the scenes. And as you mentioned, when he left, it was like out in the open. This is who I am. He was freezing um, his feet <laughs> the first week he left. He froze his feet. I mean, Chris, you got to give credit to Nick Tomlin there because there's no way that I could have dealt with that. I mean, he had a lot of characters, that's for sure, and and that's definitely one of them, and he, he did a good job uh, while he was there. We'll go on to the play calling because I want to add something to this, and we'll, we'll keep talking play calling, Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan. Brandon says, if play calling was given to Brian Callahan, Brian Callahan, do you think he'd be prepared to call the plays, or do you think there would be much of a difference from Zach? Here's the thing, and this is just me guessing and assuming when it comes to Zach Taylor and the play calling of Brian Callahan. And as you mentioned, too, like Brian Callahan's in the room. I want to say a couple of years ago, maybe Joe Burrow's rookie year, they sit together. Joe, Zach Taylor, the quarterback coach, Brian Callahan, like two days before the game or, or as they're getting ready for the game, and they went over plays, what they liked. They would say their favorite ones, what they felt. I mean, everyone is a part of that conversation. Yes, Zach pretty much has the final say in it. But for everybody wanting Brian Callahan to call the plays, I don't know how much different it really would look. Think about when Andy Reid has handed his play calling off to like Matt Nagy and Eric Bieniemy. Does the offense look that different? It looks like the Andy Reid offense because you're calling plays that you have installed for the it's not like you walk in and you could just now maybe for like a play in the red zone or a goal line play, you just draw something up real quick in the sand like you're playing <laughs> backyard football. But for the most part, you're calling plays that everybody has memorized there's only so many of those so you can't just walk in and go uh, okay i'm now the play caller so i'm going to call something they don't like mesh rail something they don't really run and they probably also don't really run it because burrow doesn't like it I, I, he's been in the system for three years they've added stuff from lsu they've kept stuff from los, los angeles rams playbook type stuff and they've added some other stuff from around the league if I don't, I just, you can't walk in and just start 
throwing in all new concepts, all these other things. He's calling from the same menu. What you would see is probably just slightly different, like run pass splits. Maybe they get to some of their concepts a little bit more often. Maybe he likes getting to like uh, the double slant lion concept more than Zach Taylor does or something like that, but it's going to be the same offense. It's, it's not going to be crazy different. Yeah. We'll, we'll stay with the offense right and, now. Oh, go ahead. Oh, just the last thing is that I did hear Malik Wright today say something about Zach Taylor isn't going to give up uh, the play calling duties that he heard from an inside source. So Malik Wright, pretty well connected. If he heard that, then we could all put that whole idea to bed. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't change. We'll uh, stay with Tyler. He said last year around this time, we were begging for the playbook to be open for more deep passes down the field. And while that's not happened or hardly at all this year, how can the Bengals really get that going? You know, we talked about it the other night on the podcast. You watch the Bills offense and I watch a 40-yard pass, a 39-yard pass, 29 yards from Josh Allen. And I'm like, oh, wait, Cincinnati only has about a 20-yarder right now. This is terrifying. What are they able to do? I was very jealous. I was very jealous of what I was watching. Um, you know, are we going to see any of that? Are they going to open it up more? Could we see that on Sunday? First, the Bengals have played what, in my opinion, are two of the elite defenses in this league. At least one healthy, the Steelers defense is elite. I, I think this is going to be one of those things where the numbers aren't going to match up with what the Bengals face because TJ Watt's been out now. So, but when he's there, that's a really good defense, especially when they've got all their guys, Aluwalu, Okunjobi's playing well too. By the way, uh, it makes, gives me a little bit of remorse about like, oh man, they shouldn't let him go because he is playing well. But uh, really, you've played two elite defenses and the offense is not doing well. But I think the explosive plays, every time I see those on Twitter and, and on TV, it's like a blown coverage. And these guys just aren't blowing the coverages down the field. They're They're playing their coverages correctly. So sometimes you can scheme this type of stuff, but really... When you're playing against that cover to Tampa two type defense, they're really keeping everything in front of them. The middle linebacker is bailing back to 15 to 20 yards in the middle of the field. The safeties, they get 20, 25 yards deep. They're basically saying, you're not going to beat us deep, throw underneath. And then what the Bengals have to do to really gain their explosive plays are either A, get a lot of yak, like a Jamar Chase insane touchdown, like he did a few times last year. I think the Ravens, think the Chiefs. Or B, you just keep hammering them underneath so much or with the run game that they do start to come up and then you can hit it over the top. But really when they're what they're doing is they're just really protecting against those deep passes to try to limit the offense. Now I need to see an explosive play, and I think the Jets defense, the safeties, the non-sauce corners, and even sauce himself. I mean, it is a rookie they can be exploited a bit more than what the Bengals have been facing. So I think they can get to it, but really I, I do think teams are selling out to stop these explosive plays and trying to force the Bengals to make long sustained drives. A lot of good mailbag questions. Honestly, we only got to about 15% of them because there were a lot and a lot of O-line, some defense a problems, questions that a lot of people wanted to bring up. We will get to more of those. Maybe I will make Bengals underscore Sands do a little Q&A on Twitter. He'll quote tweet all you guys and answer all your questions. <laughs> and it'll be, it'll be great. But we'll be back next week for another mailbag. Thank you so much for sending your questions. Make sure you're following along over on Twitter, Bengals underscore Sands at LNDS Patterson. Next. We're going to predict if uh, Cincinnati is going to get their first win of the season on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.